Amen. We're in this series called Transformed, and uh, this is the third part of our series on Romans. And today we are in Romans chapter 12, starting at verse number 3 and reading down through verse number 8. Would you mind standing with me after you take your Bibles and let's read together? Romans chapter 3, chapter 12, starting at verse number 3 and reading down to the end of the chapter, all right? So that's where we are today. And uh, let's read God's Word together. Out of respect to God's Word, we're standing. So uh, Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in the proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word today. I pray that you'll speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. In July of 1993... The Lord called my wife and I, Jane, to Concord, New Hampshire, to pastor our very first church. It was a little tiny church in the capital of New, New Hampshire, Concord, New Hampshire. It was, uh, it was a group of about 20 people that were there. And um, what I discovered when I got there was this young 27-year-old pastor who had never pastored before, and most of the people that were in the church could have been my grandma. Some of them could have been my great-grandma. They were, it was an old congregation, but it, I found a very faithful, strong congregation. They loved God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they functioned like a family. They functioned like a body. Each of them discovered and had, had been contributing not only their resources, but they had, been dis they had discovered and were using their time, talents, and gifts in service to the Lord to make that church function. I want to tell you about a few of those folks as an example of, of how the body of Christ should really work. There was a, there was a guy by the name of Bob Bond. And Bob was, uh, he was, he owned a, a car wash in, in New Hampshire. He, he literally washed cars. In the wintertime in New Hampshire, there's a lot of salt. And there's a lot of um, ice. And there's a lot of snow all the time. And so the car wash business is booming in the wintertime. Everybody's getting their car washed. But this was no typical car wash because he would wash every single car by hand. For hours, he would go out there and for $2 a car, he would wash car after car after car after car after car. And what most people didn't know was that Bob Bond was the, was the number one giver in the Concord First Church of the Nazarene. 
He gave generously to the church. Actually, the church, my first year I got there, raised a total of $40,000. Bob Bond gave $28,000 of the 40. And nobody knew that, but this guy worked really, really hard. He had the gift of generosity. He had the gift of giving. He had the gift of, of, of just blessing. And he said to me one day, he said, Pastor Kevin, he says, if there is ever a need in this church, I want you to tell me about it. Because secretly he would go and meet that need. He would go and give. He would pay people's rent. He would buy cars for them. He would just bless them. And he was, he, was like a, he was like a walking, giving machine. He had the gift of generosity. And then there was this other lady by the name of Norma, Norma, Norma Nelson. Norma Nelson was, uh, she was, uh, I think she was the sister of Lita Rhodes. She was about the same size. She had gray hair. She was, I think she was 140 when I met her, you know. But she was, she was this little old lady. And she said to me one day, she said, I told the Lord when I was really young that if, God, if, God, if, that if I had the time and the energy and there was a need, I would meet it. If I had the time and the energy and there was a need, I would meet it. And Norma was the kind of person that served in so many different areas. We were a church that was really small and there were no children there. And so we had to get a nursery going. And we had to get a children's ministry going. And Norma served in the twos and threes room. She served in the threes and fours room. And she served our kids and served our kids. And then as we started to reach new families and young moms, she was the one who went to every single young mom in the church. And here's what she said to the young moms. I will come to your house. I will take care of your children for free every week so that you can go do some grocery shopping or whatever you need to do. And she provided daycare ministry in the home free of charge and loved on young moms. She was a blessing to so many because she was using her gift. Her gift was helps hospitality. Her gift was compassion and kindness. She was a person that was, was a living, walking, breathing, powerful machine of God because she realized that her life was the Lord's and she was going to use it till the day she died. God used her in a marvelous, marvelous ways. Here in the book of Romans, we find that Paul is speaking to us about the church about how the church is supposed to operate, about how the church is supposed to, to serve, how we are supposed to live our lives in such a way that we are, as we learned over in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, that we are supposed to be living sacrifices. We looked at that last week. That we are living sacrifices. That our life, once we have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, in light of what God has done for us on the cross, by dying for us, saving us, redeeming us, filling with his spirit. He says, in light of what that has done, I want you to offer your bodies, your entire life, as a living sacrifice. 
And as I want to remind you, because it's connected to this week's message, that he says that this living sacrifice should be holy and pleasing to God because it is a spiritual act of worship, or as another interpretation of that, a reasonable act of service. A reasonable act of service. You see, God doesn't want us to just people who participate in serving him by sitting in a chair or a pew in church and singing songs. That is important and part of our worship. But he also wants us to take our lives in such a way that we use them in service to God based upon our own particular gifts in ministry to the body of Christ. In such a way that our lives make a difference. He said, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. You know what the conformity of the pattern of this world is? That life is all about you. And that you, you live your time and your space and your money and your energy all to please you. That is not what the Lord wants you to do. That's the, the world squeezing you in. But he wants you to live with the renewing of your mind, the transformation of your life, and that you begin to live out your life so that you know the will of God. And so in light of that, Paul tells us three things that we should think about. Thinking about ourselves, thinking about our families, and thinking about our mission or our responsibilities with our gifts. And so let's look at this together. First of all, number one, he says, think about yourself. Think about yourself. Notice that Paul begins this whole passage and he says, for by the grace given me, Paul says, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. Paul here in verse number three says that God has given to him a grace. A grace that he is now using to employ everyone else. He doesn't tell us what that grace is. But we know from the reading of the rest of the New Testament. That the Apostle Paul was called, empowered to be an apostle. He was his role and his job that was endowed by the Holy Spirit. Was to preach and teach and lead the church. He was called to be a missionary. And so he received a grace from God. It says in Ephesians 3, 2, he says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. He says in Ephesians 3, 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of the, his power. And God, Paul is saying to us that God has given me a grace, a gift. A gift that I am going to use to speak into your life. And so he says here, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. And could I just tell you that God has called me to speak to you. Amen. My job is to declare God's word. He has given me a gift of grace. He has given me a gift of grace to proclaim and teach his word and to implore, to exhort, to, to plead with you to follow the grace of God in your own life. Paul is saying that this grace has given him the authority to speak on behalf as the leader of the church of Rome. 
And that leader, by the way, continues to speak to us here at All of Knowles through the preaching of God's word even this morning. You have a grace. You have a grace. You have a gift. And by the way, the word there means, is the word charismatic. You know, for those of you who went to a, maybe a, a, a more charismatic church, it's not like the charismatics have a role, have a, have a corner on the grace of God. We're all charismatics, amen. You know what charismatics really mean? You have a gift. You have a gift, a spiritual gift that God has given to you. And you, have a chari- you are charismatic. And this charismatic, this grace, it comes out in a gift that he has given to you. And then he goes on to say something that I think all of us need to hear. Every single one of us. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith, measure of faith God has given you. Do not think highly of yourself, but in sober judgment. Paul says, and he uses this whole word think, he actually uses the word think in the original languages four different times in this verse. Four different times he references this idea of thinking. What does it really mean to think? And what he's talking about is the activity of the mind or the energy of the mind. That what goes on between your ears, the energy that happens in your brain. Have you ever gotten to the place where you're like, please brain, turn off. Please brain, turn off. Please brain, turn off. I mean, I got up this morning, I had to go to the restroom at 310. Okay, 3.10 in the morning, I had to go to the restroom. I looked at my watch. My alarm was set for 4.30. And so I got back into the bed at 3.11. Guess what I couldn't do? I could not turn the activity of the brain off to go back to sleep. So I laid there from 3.11 to 4.30 thinking about what the Lord had laid on my mind to speak to you this morning rehearsing all the things that God had put in my head. It was the activity of the brain. And what Paul says to us here is that we have to control what we think about. We have to control what we think about. Now, sometimes you can't control what you think about, but you can control what you think about yourself. Amen? And what does he say to us? He says, first of all, that the thought, that's the word right there, to think, that is excessive or overdone, like the English word hyper or super, and self-preoccupied becomes haughty and arrogant. In other words, one of the great dangers in our life is that our brain spends so much time thinking about us that we become so full of pride, we are so self-occupied with ourselves, with our own lives, that we have no time for anyone else. And that is a danger to all of us. We spend all of our time on social media. We spend all of our time thinking about our own stuff we want to buy and the stuff we want to do and the places we want to go. And all of our energy is so preoccupied that we don't even think about being a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord, being used for his purposes. 
Paul says, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. There's another danger, by the way, which is the other extreme, which Paul doesn't really mention, which is thinking too lowly of yourself. Beating yourself up that you're worthless, that you're no good, that, you, that God doesn't have a use for you that, you, that you are, that you are the scum of the earth, that you have messed up so badly that you're not worth it to anybody. And sometimes you can hear that in people's responses. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I'm not worthy of that. Oh, I can't do that. God says, you shouldn't think too highly of yourself, and I want to tell you, you shouldn't think too lowly of yourself. But the scripture does say that you should think in such a way that is safe and sound, that recognizes and respects its limits. In other words, you should think of yourself in sober judgment. You should speak of yourself in such a way that you go, okay, Lord, who am I? Who am I? I am first and foremost yours. I am a creation of almighty God. I've been endowed by birth with gifts and talents, with personalities, with shapes. I have been given a gift that, that, I did not, that I didn't produce. It is simply because I was born. Who am I? I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am his child. I've been forgiven. I have been set free. I am now a child of the king. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit, and he has given me gifts and abilities that can be used for his glory. Amen. So when I serve, when I use my gifts, my talents, my time, my energy, my resources, I don't do it to bring glory to myself. I bring glory to the one who loves the Lord. Amen. When I got to Concord, New Hampshire, we, we had a vacation Bible school the very first year. We got there in July, and by the end of July, we were going to put on a VBS since we had no kids whatsoever. That's why I'm big on VBS. And that year, we reached 40 kids. 40 kids. 40 kids. We had it at night. Now, I don't think that's the best time. We don't do it at night here anymore. We do it in the daytime, but we did it at night. And I remember there was a guy, he was, he was probably 78 years old, and Ralph Parsons, Ralph was the, he was the church fix-it guy. Anything was broken in the church, Ralph would fix it. Anything that needed to be fixed around the church, Ralph would fix it. We didn't have any money to call contractors, so we fixed it ourselves. And, 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 and Ralph was there. And I said, Ralph, I need to go pass out these flyers that were advertising VBS that we had run off on the mimeograph machine. Do you remember those days? Some of you do. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. I get it. But we ran those things off. They were black and white. And we began to walk the streets of Concord, New Hampshire, looking for boys and girls. And for two weeks... Ralph Parsons and me, the 27-year-old young pastor, walked the streets of Concord, New Hampshire, trying to find boys and girls who needed Jesus. Ralph did it with joy. He did it with joy. He realized he was a vessel unto the Lord. He had a safe and sound mind. He didn't puff himself up. It was all about Jesus. Amen. 
What do you think about yourself? See, some of you think too highly of yourself. You're to the place where I, I'm not, I, I'm beyond working with two-year-olds. You know, that's like no way. Uh-uh. I've been there, done that. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not doing this anymore or that anymore. And you think too highly of yourself that you don't see yourself as a servant. You don't see yourself as a servant. No matter who you are, there's no task in the kingdom that should be too low for you to do. None. Amen? We should have attitudes like Norman Elson. If I got the time and I've got the energy and there's a need, I'm going to do it. Amen? But if you're so preoccupied with your own life, you don't have time for anybody else. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have any time for yourself, but I am saying that you should have some time for others. Amen? And so then he goes on to say, how should we measure ourselves? In other words, what should be the measurement we should use? He said that, he notice he says, in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. In other words... God has given all of us gifts, abilities, and roles that are not equal. All of us have gifts. Every one of us in this room has a talent, a gift, something that you can contribute. It's not equal. Amen? It's not. I mean, just look it around. Some of us have more gifts than others. Some of us have more abilities than others. I can't, I can't do anything on this stage when it comes to instruments. Not a lick. You put me in charge of that and it would fail quickly. All right? I can only do a couple of things really well and I'll stick to those. Amen? But you have gifts and talents. You have things that you can do. There are certain things that I look at my wife and I go, man, honey, you are so gifted. I mean, I've married a woman who has so many gifts. I mean, she is extremely gifted. Could I just tell you? If God has gifted you with a spiritual gift, a talent, or resources, you have more responsibility to give than somebody who doesn't. Where many blessings are, much responsibility falls on you. You may not like that, but it's true. And God puts that on us. So the, the measure of faith he's talking about here is the measure of the gifts that he's given to you, the talents he's given to you. Those gifts that he's given to you that you believe by faith they come from the Lord, he wants you to use them. Our status before God is equal. In other words, no matter what gifts you have, no matter what your nationality is, no matter what the color of your skin is, no matter what your economic level is, it doesn't matter. There is equality at the foot of the cross. Our status is totally equal before God. Amen. It's not like pastors are higher than, than laity or somebody who's been a member of the church for 50 years is, is better than somebody who's a member for one year. All of those things don't matter in the kingdom of God. But God does say he gifts some with gifts and talents to be used and we have different roles. I love what Cranfield says here. Nevertheless, he says the measure... That's the metron, that's the Greek word compared, compared to meter, is the standard by which Christians should estimate their contribution to the church. 
because all members of the body belong to Christ by virtue of faith, all are equally important despite their differences. And so all of us are equal before God, but we measure our contribution based upon our gifting. Amen? Based upon our blessings, based upon our abilities and our talents and the gifts that God has given to us. That's how we should think of ourselves. Then he says, think about your church family. Now catch this. He says, think about your church family. Just as each of us has one body with many members, he's talking about your physical body there. You got one body, you got many members, two arms, two legs, ten toes, ten fingers, two ears, one nose, two eyes, okay? You got one body, you got many members, okay? And these members do not all have the same function, okay? In other words, the arm does something different than the leg does. The eyes do something different than the ear does, okay? All of us have different functions. He says, so in Christ, we who are many form what? One body. One body. The church is not a collection of individuals doing their own thing. We are united together in our faith in Jesus Christ. And we are connected to each other doing different functions for the primary mission that God has called us to do. That's who we are. And so the many form one body and each members belong to all the others. Now I want you to catch this. This is really important on OKCS Sunday. The Olive Knowles Church family is made up of all kinds of people in all kinds of different roles and all kinds of functions. Amen. We have what is known as the Olive Knowles Christian School, which, by the way, Lita Rhodes, thank you very much for the calling of God on your life to start our school. Amen, in 1979. Thank you. Thank you for the heritage that we have and the investment and the sacrifice that God put on, on Bert and Leader Rhodes to start the school over 30 years, 40 years ago? 40 years ago. I mean, amazing. And today the school is stronger today than it's ever been in its history. It's got more people and more influence than ever and it's united and strong amen that my friends the olive knowles christian school is not a separate organization it's not like the school does its thing and the church does its thing we are united with one god one mission and one purpose we may have different functions but we have the same purpose and the same mission and what we do collectively together is point people to Jesus. Amen. And help raise up disciples. And so whether you are an Olive Knowles Christian teacher, preschool teacher, daycare worker, aide, staff member, no matter what your role is, you are part of the overall mission of the Olive Knowles Church family. Amen. Now we've got a lot of families that come to the school today. As you heard Pastor Rusty talk about, 60% of don't have a church home. They're part of our school, which makes them part of our family, 
we would like them to become part of our church. We want them to have a relationship with God and a relationship with Jesus Christ and understand that when you become a Christian, you get connected to a church. You get connected to a body. And that mission is one and the same. And so we have one God, one mission, and one family here at Olive Knowles. We do not have two. And one of the things that I am praying and have worked, been working really hard on is to stop the divide between these two different functions of our family. Stop fighting. Stop picking on each other and stop believing we're all in this together. Amen? And that's why we work together. That's why we function together. And that's why we help one another. So, going back to this verse that he talked about, thinking about a church family. We have one body, many members, and do not all the same function. We all belong. couple of things I want you to see here. There is unity with diversity. We are unified. We are all one. Yet we are diversified and we all have different functions, different responsibilities, different roles, different things. You have, you have some kids that are part of youth ministry, children's ministry, small group ministry, young adult ministry. We have people doing worship ministry and tech ministry and hospitality and women's ministries. We have our outreach ministries. All of those ministries have people that function in them and serve in them and find strength in there. So there is unity and diversity within the body. There is also diversity in the sense that we're male and female, black, white, yellow, and pink, rich and poor, young and old. We are diverse in the places we have been born and our different backgrounds. But God has brought us all together for one purpose and one great family. Not only is there unity and diversity, but the diversity with mutuality. Notice it says, each member belongs to all the others. Each member belongs to all the others. Can you imagine if I said to my right arm, I don't need you anymore. I took and cut it off. I threw it out in the parking lot and I laid it out in the parking lot. What would happen to that arm? It would die. In a few days, it would probably stink. Maybe it would stink in less than a few days here in Bakersfield. It would begin to rot. It would begin to deteriorate. It would begin to get to the place where it would no longer be even, even closely a picture of the arm that is connected to the greater body. Well, that's exactly what happens to an individual Christian who is disconnected from a body of believers. They shrivel up and they die. They no longer function the way they're supposed to function. Because they cannot function by themselves. We need each other. My eyes need my hands. My arms need, need my heart and my liver. My body is meant to be a place where all the parts work together. Amen. And in the body of Christ, you are important. You're valuable. You're necessary. And we need you as much as you need the body. Amen? 
We need each other. Just this week, you know, we've gone through some, some of our families have gone through really difficult times. Remember the Blairs in your family. Keith Blair, his wife is in the hospital right now. Remember the Unfreeze who just lost their, their firstborn son to the terrible tragedy of a, of a drug overdose. Terrible things. But the love of God's family who come around in crisis and needs and help one another. We have single moms and single dads here in this church that need a church family to help them raise their children. And the Olive Knowles Christian School and preschool and daycare sometimes provide that necessary, that necessary fabric in order for them to survive in life. It's important that we do that together. We need each other. How do you think about your church family? Do you think about it from the standpoint of what's the church going to do for me? Or do you think about it from the standpoint of what am I going to contribute to the family? What am I going to do? That's what Paul's trying to get to. Because then Paul goes on to say, he says, think about your role based on your gifts. He then goes on to talk about gifts. And notice what he says. We have different gifts according to the what? To the grace given to us. Just like the Apostle Paul was given a gift of, by the grace of God, each and every one of you has a gift. You have a spiritually empowered gift. And that gift is meant to help you to serve in the body of Christ. Do you know your spiritual gift? Do you know your spiritual gift? He goes on, by the way, and talks about the, the seven gifts here. In verses number 6 through 8, he describes seven gifts. And I'm going to put this in bullet form for you so that you can really see it. But these seven gifts are, are gifts that he establishes. This is not a complete list of all the spiritual gifts. There are four places in Scripture that describe all of the spiritual gifts. They are scattered throughout the scripture. But he describes seven of them for us for a hearer. He says, if you have the gift of prophecy, according to the analogy of your faith or according to the faith that God has given to you, what should you do? You should speak it. Amen? God has given me the, the gift of exhortation. The gift of preaching. Some would say that the gift of prophecy is the gift of preaching. But have you ever felt like God gave you a word to give to somebody else? They gave you a, a word from the Lord and you didn't know where it came from. You didn't know why. But for some reason, you just sensed that God wanted you to speak into somebody else's life. That's the spiritual gift of prophecy. That's when God speaks through you. And he will use it. Sometimes it's a public setting like the proclamation. Sometimes it's one-on-one. -on -one. Now, be careful when you use that, amen. Make sure it's from the Lord and not from the other one, amen. But he says use it. Then there is the gift of service. If you have the gift of service, what should you do? Serve. If you have the gift of teaching, and by the way, what a great time to talk about all our teachers here at Olive Knowles and all of our public school teachers. And if you serve in any form of teaching in any capacity at all, that is a spiritual gift that God gives to you. 
And that gift, if you have the gift of teaching, what should you do? You should teach. By the way, literally, this is how the scripture was written in, in the original languages. Paul would like, he didn't, you know, they didn't have bullet points back then, but it's almost like Paul listed bullet points. And he lays it out. He says, whether you have one of his encouragement, should you, what should you do? Encourage. There are some of you who have the incredible gift of encouragement. And don't diminish that. But you come to church and you stand in the foyer and say, okay, who am I going to encourage today? Who am I going to encourage today? Who am I going to pat on the back today? Who am I going to just say, hey, you're doing a great job. Hey, how can I pray for you today? What can God do in your life today? Imagine if we would identify if you, have the, you are the person who has the spiritual gift of encouragement and you are just empowered like a machine of God just to go use it. Think about the impact you could have. Imagine if you would be the kind of person that would encourage teachers, encourage pastors, encourage the downtrodden. He says when you have that gift, what should you be doing? You should be encouraging. If you have the gift of sharing, like Bob Bond, what should you do? You should be incredibly generous. And you know what I've discovered? That generosity isn't for those who are just rich. I know some people. My mom had the gift of generosity. And could I just tell you? She never had a new thing in her entire life. She lived on hand-me-downs. She was a poor woman raising four six kids. But you know what she always did? She always gave whatever she had away no matter what it was. That was my mom. She had mercy. She was cheerful. She was encouraging. If you have the gift of leading, what should you do? You should lead with eagerness. Go lead if you're supposed to lead. Don't stand in the background and go, oh, I think I should lead, but I don't know where I'm going to lead. I'm just going to be timid and wait for somebody to tell me to lead. If you have the gift of leadership, step up. Go to work. Make a difference. Organize. Set up an, an event. Do something with your life if God's called you to lead and he's gifted you with that. And then he says, the one who shows mercy, what should you do? You should do it with cheerfulness. Come along somebody and cheer them up. Encourage them. Have compassion on them and kindness. It's so interesting to me that Paul, out of all the spiritual gifts in Romans, he talks about these seven. Because here's what I know. These seven are, should be found in every church family. These seven are, I would almost say, are essential for the body of Christ. It's essential for them to function at Olive Knowles Christian School. It's essential for them to function at this church. We need to use our gifts in powerful ways. Notice he says you don't have a gift to sit on. Every gift is given to you for action. For action. Why? Because a spiritual gift is a special attribute given by the Holy Spirit to every member of the body of Christ according to God's grace 
for use within the context of the body. With a gift comes a responsibility to use it. Amen. And that's why it's important that every single one of us, and I want to be very straight with you. There is not a person in this church who should call this their church home who doesn't have a job to do. Let me say that one more time because I only got one amen. If you call this your church home, you should find a job and you should participate in the body of Christ. God has not called you just to come and receive. He's called you to come and receive and then to serve. And you should serve based upon how God has gifted you, has given you abilities and talents. And that, my friends, will make the body of Christ stronger. Amen? Now, I want to be very honest with you. There's one area of our church that is desperately depleted. It's a part of our body that is really important. You want to know what it is? Yes. Our preschool in our church side. Our preschool is birth through four and five-year-olds, pre-kindergarten. That group is so depleted that we are desperately trying to fill slots every single week. And it's a rotation of people going in and out, in and out. And here's what we need. We need some men and women who would dedicate themselves to loving on kids and be a stable force in our preschool so that those kids, when they walk into that classroom, they know the face that they're going to. They provide stability and strength. We have a tremendous preschool in our school side with tremendous leaders who are dedicated there every week and providing love and support and activities for all of our two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, and five-year-olds. But my friends on the church side, we've got a lot of people who are not willing, at least it seems that way, to step up and to be preschool leaders. Amen. Thankfully, our elementary school is has pretty stable people, but we need a couple of subs. Thankfully, our youth ministry has some great small group leaders. But in our preschool ministry, we need some who will say, I will serve. Amen. And could I just say, not just once every other month, but who make a commitment to know a kid's name, to pray for them, to know their moms and dads, and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Amen? We need it desperately. And that would help our body be better and function better. Amen? Worship team, come on out. Now we're just going to pray. Worship team, we're going to hold that song to the next service. But play something for me, would you? Would you stand with me as we conclude this service? God, thank you for the body of Christ. 
Thank you, Lord, that you have called us to be a part of this great body called Olive Knowles. Thank you for our school, our church, and all the ministries and functions that are a part of that. I pray right now that we would offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. God, change our thinking about ourselves. Change our thinking about our family. Change our thinking about our roles that we play in this body. God, we need you. Thank you so much. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if the Lord is calling you to step up and function within the body, would you take your response card and just write on it, I need to find a place to serve. One of our pastors will call you and help you to find the right place for you based upon your gifts, your talents, your heart, your mission to serve. Communicate with us and we'll communicate with you. God help us, I pray. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Hey, before you leave, on the table outside, there are pictures with names of all of our preschool, elementary school, and middle school teachers. I want you to pick up one card and use it as a prayer card for the year. Stick it in your Bible and pray for that teacher all year long, okay? Those are prayer cards. There's, a hun there's a 60 staff members. There's over 180 cards out there. So pick up one card and make that your prayer card that you're going to pray for our teachers this year, all right? God bless everybody.